0: Hold on, you don't want to miss this episode of Faith in Your Recovery. Welcome to the battle. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here for you and with you. I'm your host, Randy Davis, a former pastor, founder, and executive director of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We are a participant-driven Faith-based and compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder slash addiction. In our exhaustive effort to offer you all things recovery, today we're connecting one more piece to the recovery puzzle. We're excited to have with us Jack Sir guy, Hi, Jack. Hi, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for your time. We Thank appreciate you. you coming to join us, and I look forward to what you have to share. Thank you so much. Yeah, I have uh, kind of read through your resume. I've seen some of your background, your education. Sounds pretty rich. Several... uh I envy some of the experiences you've had, and some of them I wouldn't want to touch, (laughs) okay? I've definitely lived on both sides of the track, you could Uh, say. uh Aha, we're anxious to hear some of that. So, instead of me trying to say too much to the folks, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the first side of the track, okay, or the far side of the track. Maybe tell us a little about your upbringing. Okay. Uh, I guess, yeah, the far side of the track, then, uh, would be
1: uh, kind of my life and addictions. Um, Growing up, um, I had an older half-brother that was about 10 years older than me. Um, so when I was eight, he was 18. Uh, he lived with his father at that point in time. And uh, a lot of times I'd go and spend uh, the weekends with him, almost every weekend actually. And uh, at that point in time in, in Ohio, you only had to be 18 to purchase alcohol. And so uh, my older brother at that point in time, every weekend, uh, he would go to um, Ohio, uh, purchase alcohol, bring it back into Indiana, and uh, yeah, was feeding me alcohol at about the age of eight. That's when I started.
0: Well, you know, I've heard many, many stories of those older uh, siblings uh, helping that younger one out and getting them off on a bad track.
1: Yeah, I, I had that. Um, Not only that, but my sister married someone that that wasn't a great influence as well. And uh, from probably about the age of 12 or so, uh, he really introduced me into... Uh, the harder uh, alcohols, whiskey, and uh, started
0: to introduce me to marijuana and things like that. I was about, about 11 or 12. You know what? I understand that's pretty much the average anymore where most addictions begin. It's mm-hmm. about 12 years old, seventh yep. grade, and you kind of fit that mold there, yep. it sounds yep. like. Yep. What, what was that like for you? What kind of struggles or what did that create in your mind? What kind of confusion, chaos, or... Yeah. Tell us. Um, Yeah. I mean, it, it did create I think one of the,
1: probably the leading probably impact it, it had on me today to, still to this day is um, helping me cope with stress um, and simply being able to come home. And, and you know, so when you're young and, and you're learning to deal with stress, you, you learn how to. Um, modulate your body to where, you know, your stress and just on, on your own natural abilities, you learn to, you know, be able to come down to a non-stress level and everything. To where even back then, I was learning to rely on these substances to uh, help me help me regulate then, you know, so when you got upset, you drank. When you got happy, you drank or any of those types of things. And so even to this day, when I struggle with stress or I struggle with anxiety, there, there's a really hard component that wants me to turn to these substances to
0: uh, be able to cope with those things. What keeps you from doing that? What keeps you from falling back in that hole? Um, What I have in my life today, to
1: be honest with you, um, you know, I I did, uh, even though I I came from all this education and had a promising career, um, you know, I went through a divorce, and really, really fell hard back on drugs and, and alcohol and things like that to the point that I, I ended up with nothing. And um, that's where I, I landed in the Christian Center, was trying to come up off of that. And now at this point in time in my life, you know, I, I have good steady employment again. I have somebody in my life that, that cares tremendously about me. And um and my faith as well to where I, I don't want to it's it's not it's not worth it. How long ago was it. that, Jack? That you made that fall? Um ballpark. That was probably about fourteen years ago. Okay. And I spent a good ten years uh, it wrapped up pretty heavily in addictions. Um, I actually overdosed probably about four to five times. I totaled a couple of cars. Um, you know was really far into that because, you know, I'd, I'd given up. I'd, I kind of had a, a planned, you know, plan for my, for my life and, um, you know, had three children at that point in time. And then the divorce kind of came out of nowhere and it just knocked me for a loop. And so kind of like I said, growing up, uh, the coping skills that I used was based on drugs and alcohol. And so when that hit, you know, how'd I deal with that emptiness? How'd sure. I deal with all those things? It, it was it was going right back really heavily and, into drugs and alcohol again.
0: You know, I don't mind saying as you share this that uh, I received a phone call yesterday morning from a cousin that I don't often hear from. And when you do, it's not usually good news. Right. Uh, you know, not because we're strange, but it's That's just where we're at relationally due to life. And she informed me how our cousin's son had taken his own life. Uh, That was just the night before last. Alcohol-related. The divorce coming up is what put him over the edge. It was the final straw, if I can use that expression. Right. Yeah. He had battled it a long time and fought all those demons that go with it, the ups and the downs, the mm-hmm. job issues, and of course COVID hadn't done any of us any right. favors. Right, And,
1: you know, uh, I have to admit, I mean, there were times when, when I was extremely suicidal, and um, where, you know, where it becomes so tricky and where it becomes so dangerous is that you start thinking in your mind that you know you got all these relatives, all these these loved ones that tell you, you know, they they care about you, care about you, they want to see you do better, want to, and they're worried about you all the time. And you start thinking um, they would be better off if if I was no longer here. Um, and that that's 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 where in my mind you really start and on dangerous ground, because yeah. you, you actually start thinking that
0: you're going to do your family a favor yeah. by um, giving in to those impulses. So, if you'll pardon the expression, what got you out of that stinking thinking? Uh, my kids. Um, one of the things I
1: learned in my uh, education in psychology is that when a parent uh, commits suicide, that increases the chance of the children committing suicide by about 50%. And I thought to myself, I do not want to do that to my children. Um, You know, also with that, you know, with with children of, you know, they they really, really struggle with uh, why wasn't I important enough for my parent to, you know, to to hang around. And so really, it wasn't even (laughs) because I I honestly extremely dislike myself, but I love my kids enough where I
0: was willing to hang on. You love them more than you love yes, yourself. Yes, one hundred percent. made it worth. That made it worth. It. That made it worth it. Wow, wow. I, I get a lot of that. As we we go back to your days of education, what mm-hmm. what led you into those fields of uh, psychology, counseling, the whole list? There? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I was the first person from my um, from my family to to go to college. Um, as a matter of fact, I actually moved out of my, my parents' um, place when I was 17. Um, I, I'd gotten in so much trouble uh, where I'd been living that when uh, I tried to go back to school there, I, I was, there was a lot of disruptions. There'd been a lot of violence um, where I'd grown up at. And so those, those things were still issues. And so I had a really good friend um, actually uh, work at this church and had actually convinced the church to open up their gymnasium. They had a couple little a couple, of little, do- a couple of little closets off their gymnasium. They actually opened them up to me and let me live there in in the gymnasium. I had a shower, had a kitchen area, and everything else like that for me to, to finish high school. Um, church was was a uh, it still is, but is an extremely important part of my life at that point in time. And I decided I wanted to go in the ministry, and so. Um, Through my connections with with this one individual who who really stressed education, uh, I decided to try college. Um, And so I I actually went to Anderson University, where I got my degree in uh, biblical studies. And what's funny is, is um, the psychology part of it, um, everybody had stressed, had talked about how difficult this psychology Class was, you know, even the general psych class, you know, a lot of people failed it, I guess, and everything like that. So I waited to my till my junior year to take it, and then come to find out, everything clicked, and I'm getting A's on everything, and and you know, for the first time, people are coming to me saying, hey, you know, will you tutor me in this stuff, and um, and I just fell in love with it, uh, to the point that I started, you know, the last two years of college, took all the psychology classes I I could. And then um, after I graduated, um, I went to the seminary. And then I thought, you know, hey, why not? actually applied for a um, master's degree in psychology, and I was actually doing the master's of psychology and master's in, in biblical studies at the same time for about a year and a half.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. yeah. Wow. So, uh, I, I'm trying to put some of that together in my mm-hmm. own head here, and as I hear you talk how you put the psychology classes on delay, and then once you got in there. <laughs> You found yeah. out yeah, that yeah. was your niche. That so was my speak. niche, yes. Do you think that some of that plays back to your earlier life? You know, you went through mm. those struggles. You you didn't just have to read some of this. You knew it. I knew it. But now it's in different words. Yes. You could identify. Yeah. Yes. I, I
1: was able to identify a lot of it. Um, you know, uh, some of the things I, I read— you know, my struggles at that point in time, it was like, Oh, this, this makes sense. This, this makes sense, you know? Um, and so, you know, kind of, like I said, growing up in in the environment I did, you know, it it was an extremely, um, it was very violent, a a very, uh, mentally unhealthy environment. You know, I love my parents love them very well. They're, they're both deceased. Uh, but my mom, you know, had a, um, had a mental illness, and she, she struggled with, with becoming extremely explosive at times and violent and things like that to where, you know, when you live under those conditions, you become a people watcher. You know what I mean? You really, really, really are watching because you're trying to figure out is this person safe or not. Yes. So, I mean, you're, you're watching all these things. You're constantly trying to figure people out, you know, as a child for, for you to say, for you to stay safe. And so with all that experience in through my life, you know, taking these psychology classes it's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've recognized that. Oh, yeah, that makes sense and things like that. So, yeah, it just,
0: it just really fell into place. You know, it, I don't know. If it- to say it's funny is the right word to use, but at least it's it's a dichotomy, the way God would use those dark moments, those struggles, to get you where he wants you. You may go in there kicking and screaming, right. but yeah. uh, you still... <laughs> still kicking and screaming sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like in psychology class, you know, it was the last thing you were going to do, and the right. first thing that I get the impression started to click and yes. started to build some extra pride, and does uh,
1: you know yes. hoping you that that was the you know the the other classes and everything like that I was you know that was one of the things too in in just my um, experience in college you know because growing up education wasn't stressed at all I mean it, it really wasn't uh, you were expected to hopefully. I say, hopefully, finish high school, uh, then you were expected to go get a job at the local factory or you know anything like that. There, there was no put. There was not even a conversation about higher education. It wasn't even on the radar. And so, being introduced to that, you know, through my friend and everything, it was it was intimidating. Um, but I, you know, I found out I loved it. You know, I, I really loved it. And I, you know, I remember my professors one time. You know, I was going in, I talked to him and stuff. And um, I'll never forget this. He, you know, I told him, I was like, how, how do you know all this stuff? And he looked at me, he goes, Jackson, said, you're just as smart as I am. He goes, I've just read more books at this point. Uh-huh. Time. And that that was life-changing for me because I thought maybe I am good at this stuff, you know. And I excelled in, in, the, in the biblical classes, but when I got into psychology, that's where I kind of became— kind of a star, you yeah. know, because you know, like I said, I was getting the highest highest grades, people coming to me asking me for tutoring and, and things, and that's the first time that, that it happened, you know. No, so That's
0: awesome. I mean, yeah. we all need that moment to recognize yes. I have something to give. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So Let's kind of move from that to your faith journey. And then from there, we'll move ahead to today, what you're doing and the way you're impacting lives. So tell us a little about your faith journey, please, besides, you know, uh, just the education. Yeah, yeah. Um, My uh, parents growing up,
1: you know— there was the talk, hey, we're, we're religious, you know, my mom was really off and on, you know, would take us to church sometimes, things like that, but it, it was not, not stressed at all, you know, really, Um, and like I said, I fell into drugs and alcohol, you know, pretty, pretty early, and uh, it really got to the point to where uh, that had a a, a very, had a stranglehold on me, you know, to the point you know, when I was like 17, um, was dealing with all those issues, was really, really struggling with depression and things like that. And um, I had a failed attempt at suicide to where I say I um, cut my wrist, but I, w- I was so intoxicated and, and so messed up at that point in time that I didn't do a good job of it. And luckily I, I was spared. And um, I went ahead and went to a rehabilitation center at that point in time. And it was there that uh, I I met a guy. His name was Bryce. Uh, He was a a very very faithful Christian. And uh, just through some interactions with him, all of a sudden, I don't know, it hit me, you know, um, you know. And I sat down with him and told him, you know, hey, these are some of the things I've been struggling with, dealing with, things like that. Where even at that point in time, uh, Satanism was was real big in the culture. To where I'd even dabbled in, in those types of things. And I just told him, you know, I, I need help. And um, we went to this little room and um, he led me through a simple prayer. And that was really the first time that I had really um, told God that, you know, that, that I need Christ in my life and that,
0: that I need I need guidance. You know, why did you share the story of Bryce and the way he came into your life? I think back to uh, you there in your psychology classes. Uh, those who needed help, they'd come to you. Mm-hmm. Rice was one of those same drawing cards in a different game, to yes. where you recognized something in him that was missing in you that you yes. wanted. There, there, you know. To this day, I'm still, as a matter of fact, we're
1: actually going to vi- visit them this weekend down in Tennessee. Awesome. Um, he is a um, um, professor at Trevecca Nazarene University down there. And um, he has continued to be, you know, even though we don't talk a whole lot these days, we're so busy. 100 um, percent, I saw something in him that, that was real, authentic. And, you know, if someone was to ask me today, do you truly know a Christian? Bryce is the first one that, that would come to my mind. That says a bunch. Uh, because, I mean, he he went out of his way to truly truly give into my life you know like I said you know I, I was released from this place so I went back to my my home environment at that point in time and like I said it was not healthy uh they were still you know um I had I'd gotten involved you know even as young as I was uh with a lot of fighting you know people out you know beating each other up and and using weapons and you know I was in in, in that um that environment as well And that's where Bryce started out to where, you know, he really wanted me to be uh, connected with a church. And so he would drive an hour and a half every weekend and pick me up in my house and then drive an hour and a half and take me back where I would stay with him and his family and um, spend the weekend from Friday till Sunday. Um, and go to church on you know Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and then Sunday evening he would drive an hour and a half, take me home and an hour and a half back. So you're talking, you know, what six hours on the road every single weekend to come pick up a kid that um, from his words, he, he saw he saw something in. And so not too often do you find people that, that will huh. give, you know they may give money, they may give this, that, but to give that amount of time, I think is
0: rare. We don't get that time back. Yeah. Uh, We can earn the dive back, but we don't get the time back. Right. And for him to have that kind of heart, as you said, he saw something in you, Mm -hmm. and there was obviously something in him. And I'm going to guess when you go to see him this weekend, if you ask him if he regretted it, He'd oh, say yeah. not a single mile. <laughs> yeah, not, Yeah, Br- Bryce
1: has a, he has five biological kids, but he he always refers to me as, as to his adopted son. Uh-huh. You know, to this day. That's so, nice. um, you know, it just, um, he just he's had such an impact on on everyone really that that he's come in contact with, you know, and uh, you know, I truly mean it um, if if Bryce had not come into my life and shown the love of, of God to me, um I have no clue. I, I, You know, I'd probably be in prison at this point in time. I probably I probably really, you know, because I, I couldn't go much longer doing the things I yeah. was doing without getting caught. Because <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. they all say, you're going to get caught at some point in time. I definitely would have been caught by this point in time and and, and probably done some prison Prison time. or dead. Yes, one of the two.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. We all need a Bryce in our life, and I hope we're yes. all a Bryce to someone Somebody. else Yes. that they're looking up saying, wow. Yeah. I like what you've got. I need that. I want that. Yeah. Will you help me get it? Yes. And we show him that journey. So let's go ahead and kind of lift things up to where we're at today. Tell us about life today, if you would. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I honestly made a a, a pretty significant uh, transition. You know, I worked in psychology for about um man, about fifteen years. I worked in some a lot of residential homes or residential treatment centers. I worked in a private practice down in Tennessee. And, um, you know, just everything I, I was going through, I felt like, I mean, for, for some financial reasons, but also just um, reasons of burnout, <laughs> um, I actually moved into the world of corrections, uh, working as a correctional officer at a maximum secure prison. And so... Again, what was astounding to me was in uh, working as a therapist for all those years, I was really surprised at how much I drew on my um, studies f- uh, being a biblical major as well from Anderson. Uh, that that came into a lot of the therapy sessions I, I, I worked with. And now I'm seeing, working in corrections, how much of my uh, Studying psychology really, really impacts the way I, I work in that job. So at this point, you did end up in prison. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, luckily, I get to go home at the end of the
0: day. So. That's a different side of the bar. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's that like? You know, you don't have to describe the moments necessarily, but. Mm-hmm. What, what's it look like for you, and how are you able to give while you're in there? Because it's obvious you're a giving person.
1: Yeah, um, it, it, can, it can be difficult. I mean, it, it you know, um, somebody asked me, you know, I went to a retreat this past weekend, and somebody asked me, you know, what makes you keep going back? And, and I guess I had two answers. One of them was um, the brotherhood that you experienced there. You know, to where um, when you're in a situation to where your life can really be depend on this person in this person's hand and their life can depend on on yours, you you develop relationships to where, you know, that's a strong bond to where you don't want to let those people down, you know. And I think second was, you know, um, how to put this, Um, I thought to myself, if I really want a strong faith— I really want to challenge my faith. It's easy to go and and work in a place to where everybody's Christian and you know and yeah. you know you kind of but go into a place where it truly is a battlefield and be able to maintain your faith and and still to the best of your abilities at times still continue continue to try to show love to those that um do not appreciate it, I guess is the, you know, the,
0: they don't need it in their minds. They don't (laughs) want it.
1: Yes. They don't want it. And they outright see it as weakness. Absolutely. They see you as a weak person. Um, that's a challenge. And I guess, so part of it, you know, for me is, is how do I continue to show love in, in an environment like that? Um, and then also continue to show love to the people there, you know, to where you're, you know, you're going to be there. And, you know, what is challenging for me as well? You know, as you can see, I'm, I'm a bigger guy. Um, I'm about, you know, about 6'1". I weigh about 270. I work out a lot. That's obvious. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I'm one of the ones, honestly, that's used a lot of the times of, you know, hey, we're having, you know, fights are breaking out or this is going on, this is going on. I'm one of the ones that's called to have to go and, and you know, uh, you know or there's a high risk of having to use force. And um, it, it can be difficult to maintain, you know, your faith. I can't imagine. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, um, you do see love in there. You absolutely 100% do see love in there. You know, uh, you know I hope it's okay for me just to take a second to, sure. to share a story. Um, you know, I was working in, in the SEG unit. And which is segregation, which is kind of the prison of the prison, uh, where everybody over there is, you know, in there usually for violence and things like that. They've attacked our officers, or attacked somebody else, or they've been found with a weapon or something. And uh, there was two, two um, uh, black gentlemen, they their offenders on on each side of a guy that was in the middle. Was a uh, a member of the Aryan Brotherhood, okay. And this guy was pretty. I guess he was pretty hardcore in his beliefs about white supremacy and, and things all that like this to where, you know, uh, he would say things to these guys trying to get him riled up. And what I was really surprised about talking from the one guy, you know, he was actually a pretty educated guy, even though he didn't have college education, he was a smart guy. Um, they went out of their way to try to talk to this guy and to show him love and, and, and all this other kind of stuff. And um, it came to one time to where the guy became uh, extremely suicidal and um, actually hung himself in his cell. And they were yelling to him, yelling to him, yelling to him. They couldn't get him to respond. They actually got worried and yelled for, for one of the officers to come up there and check. The officer came up there and checked and sure enough saw him in the back of the, the um, cell hanging. Well, at that point in time, you have to call signal. Then you have to call somebody. They have to go downstairs. They have to get what's called a J-knife. Now, they have to come up three sets of stairs, go through two doors, and then open a cell door, and then come all the way down to the end of the cell door. So you're talking about something that takes takes time, you know? And um, this guy's calling on the radio and everything. These two gentlemen, uh, you know, they were able to get razors. Okay, they had razors they were able to. They actually went and started breaking open the razors, <laughs> um, cutting themselves in the process to give the razors to the officers so they could get in there quicker and, and cut this guy down. And I thought to myself, that's love, you know? they here was somebody that hated them because of the color of their skin. And yet— <laughs> They didn't see the skin, <laughs> yeah.
0: obviously, did yeah. they? Uh, yeah. Scriptures and, say that man looks on the outside, God looks on the inside. That's right. You know, and the fact that they were willing
1: to inj- inflict injury upon themselves in order to save somebody that hated them. That's the gospel. That, that's, <laughs> that's the gospel. That's Jesus
0: on the cross right, right there, isn't
1: it? That's right. You know, so you know, at the same time when when you experience things like that in the prison as well, it gives you hope. It lets you know that there are some people in there. And there are, there are several people in there that realize they've made a mistake and, and they're really truly trying to turn their lives around.
0: They're not all bad people. Not they just make bad all. choices. Man, right? Yeah, some made horrible, and, horrible and bad we've choices. We all had moments to where we teetered on that. Yes, and most of us could possibly be there if we'd uh, have been caught. With me, one hundred percent. You know, if I'd been caught for some
1: of the things I I had done, I one hundred percent would have been in there with them. And so I, I don't, you know, judge them for what they've done in the past. You know, I, I try not to judge them all. You know, you really try to just work with them on a, on an individual basis, and like I said, the vast majority of them in there, they really don't give you a hard time. You know, they um, some of them, you know, they're they're funny. You know, sure, a lot of them have have a, a, a very strong faith in God. They go to the um, worship. You know, I, I have one guy there. <clears throat> You know, every time when I walk by, hey, how you doing? You know, he pulls, you know, as a curtain he pulls it back, he's got his Bibles, four or five Bibles. But well, you know what I'm always doing, man? You know, I'm praying for you, man, and stuff like that. You know, and and uh, you know, and I hate to tell you, you know, really, really appreciate the job you're doing, sir. I mean, you work hard. It just makes you feel good. Oh, it makes you feel good. You know,
0: know, earlier you mentioned the word brotherhood, and you were talking more so about those within your circle of brotherhood Mm -hmm. there that you relied on. Right. And I thought kind of ahead of you, then you started talking about some of the groups, the brotherhood groups. Mm -hmm. And I I don't guess I'd ever given any thought to— the officers, the guards, whatever the proper title might be, having that brotherhood. But I get that. Yes, uh, you yeah. have that likeness.
1: Yes, I mean, and and because you know, here's the thing. Especially out at at you know the prison I work at, it's an older prison. And, um, you know, we work, it's maximum secure. So when you have some prisoners in there that, I mean, they're going to die in there and they know it. Yes. You know, they have 190 years, you know. And so giving them a write-up that's going to take six months or add six months to their sentence, you know, that's, that's nothing, you know. Um, and so you have to work with them on a whole different level. You know, there's a prison down down the road from us a little bit where most of the most of the people in there are in prison from about one year to 10 years. Okay. Okay. So they have an out date that they can look forward to. You know, hey, I've only got, you know, five years. You know, uh, I'm going to catch a write up. It's going to act six months to that. Woo, I don't want to do that because, you know. Right. You can work with them on how to put this. um, Hey, you better follow the rule. If you don't follow the rule, I'm going to get you in trouble. You can't do that where I'm at. (laughs) Those guys, they don't care, man. They just absolutely don't care. Nothing to lose. Yeah, absolutely nothing to lose. And so you have to come uh, working with them. It's based 100% more on respect. How you talk to them, how you treat them. Um, You know, even at times, um, you know, when, when you have to write them up or have to get them in trouble, you don't add stuff to it because you're angry. You, you keep it, you know, you keep it honest. Uh, those guys, those are the things that they respect.
0: Isn't that the way it ought to be? Yes, in, in the prison or outside the prison, <clears throat> isn't that the way we should be treating one another, and respecting right. each
1: other? Well, I just saw a, I was, you know, earlier today I was reading, you know, in a, in a study, and it was saying that correctional officers actually uh, experience, uh, more violent attacks than than any other federal or state employees, that they are the highest, you know. And, and kind of go off subject there, but at Pendleton, you know, uh, you know, you you have the the house that you're working in, you know, that's kind of separated in two sides. One side houses probably 160 to 180, and on the other side, you know, 160 to 180. So we'll run. Let's say we're going to run wreck or we're going to run chow. We'll run one side at a time. Well. You know, you have three officers in this house. Now you have 180 prisoners out. Okay, you are you are outnumbered 180 to three. You better believe you have to depend on (laughs) on your fellow workers. One hundred percent. You have to you have to because you cannot you know, you, you can't be watching everybody all the time. You're just, op- you know, you're opening and I've, I've seen it happen. We've watched videos and seen it happen. It's happened to friends of mine. Somebody going and, and opening a door for somebody and then three or four guys come up from behind them and t- attack them and stuff like that. Um, you know, you have to count that, you know, when you get on that radio and, and you yell that signal that people or no matter what, they are going to come to your aid. I mean, it doesn't matter right yeah. bro- you and you know you could and it's happened where you run into traps where you have guys s- staged up to where when first responders come in they get jumped and um but still that's that's your brother on the ground in there being hurt and no matter what yeah. you got to go in there and get him
0: that's that's one guard for every 60 people looking yeah. at the numbers you just shared. And yeah. that's not good odds. No, it's
1: not good odds, odds, odds at all. And, um, you know, it, it's even though the state has recently raised wages significantly, um, they still can't keep...
0: So can't keep people there. Well, the I, yeah, yeah, it's going to take special kind of person that can handle that, obviously. And I yes. respect that. And you were talking about depending on that brotherhood, also depending on your prayers from the night before yes, and those yes. who
1: are praying for you. Right. Yes. You know, and, and it made me feel really good because, you know, I, I just went to this uh, discipleship walk uh, this past weekend and I, I had the opportunity to um Kind of let my guard down and say, you know, hey, th- this is what I struggle with, you know, because, you know, I was telling them, <clears throat> you know, two or three people get angry at you, be one day, and then, and then they flat out tell you, you know, when you come back in, you let us out for wreck. We are getting you. We are, we, you know, we're we're going to get you. And so you go home, and you're thinking to yourself, is it going to happen? Are they going to do it? All right. And that's in the back of your head for two to three days. And then you go into work and now you're sitting there waiting for the first time. You have to roll open all those doors. Now, imagine the stress level that you're under. I can't. Be- because you're sitting there thinking, you know, are, are two to three people going to come up behind me with weapons or anything like that? When when my attention is is turned this way that, you know, and I was able to share that with them. And um, I had about probably about seven, eight different guys tell me that they were really, really going to lift me up in prayer, you know, and to to continue to kind of deal with that stress and and you know to keep me safe, but you know also have a lovely fiance that I know prays for me every single day and every night, along with my own prayers to to not only stay stay excuse me stay safe, but to honestly go in and and try to make a difference in these guys' life because. A lot of them grew up in such a way to where manhood is completely defined in a different way than as Christians, we would define manhood. And to go in and try to live that out in front of them, it does make a difference. Wow. It does make it because I've had I've had offenders come up to me and tell me. Sir, guy, you know, it was funny because they'll do it away. They'll do it from away from other offenders. They'll come you, up, man. You know, we're not supposed to, you know, really connect with, uh, you know, officers stuff. Man, we really appreciate you, man. You're you're actually a really good guy. We we tell that you care, and that that means the world to me. Oh, it really does. <laughs> I would
0: think so. Yeah. Uh, what? Let me let me ask you another question. With all the jobs, all the positions you've had over the years, give me the top couple. Share that with our folks.
1: Yeah, um, I think definitely uh, this job tops as, you know, one of the the ones, be honest with you, I am one of the most compassionate about, feel the best about, even though with how difficult it is. And I think... um, Working in that, uh, well, it's hard one because I worked in a, in a private practice in, in Tennessee. I really enjoyed that one, but um, I also, when I, I was accepted into a doctoral program in clinical psychology, and we had to go through an um, internship there, and I had two choices. Uh, I could go and, and work with this guy who had already accepted me and everything like that. And he told me that the uh, majority of my patients I'd be working with are millionaires. You know, he, you know, he's, and he was kind of bragging everything. I'd get that and everything. He, he had an extremely successful practice. And then I knew somebody that got, was needing help in a residential treatment home where uh, kids that had been severely abused and, and neglected, they needed help there. And I actually went and worked with abused children. And I think that was one of the most
0: um, satisfying jobs I've ever worked in as well, too. You know what? Uh to look at you, I don't see the heart. (laughs) I'm hearing it and I see it on your face. I can't look through to it. I can see the size. I can tell you've worked out once Mm -hmm. or twice today. (laughs) But to hear this, uh, you're pretty much a complete package. Uh, That's awesome stuff. You're a good witness for God. Kind of getting close to wrapping this up, but Hmm? what would you like the community our culture to know about the folks that you're dealing with
1: they are in the prison? Um, one of the hardest parts, and I see it time and time again, is um, the reintegration back into the community. Okay.
0: Yes, that makes sense.
1: Um, these guys come out. Uh, you know, they, they uh, have a felony. Uh, they have a very difficult time getting a job. Um, and not only that, but the, the prison the prison environment has become the normal for them. And so they, they bring that over and, and they project those beliefs of, you know, of how other people act in prison. They project those beliefs upon their environment in general. They've had to, to survive yes. for the last
0: X years. Yes.
1: And and so it, it, it makes it really difficult for them to trust people, um, to connect with others, and... Really reintegrate back into the community, and so if if there was something, you know, um, as a matter of fact, and 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 I feel strongly with this guy, there, there was a, a guy there. Uh, he used to be um, the the head, he, kind of like the president or the head member of the Aryan Brotherhood there at the prison. Well, he he resigned. You know, told him, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm close to getting out. I don't want anything to do with this stuff anymore. You know not get in trouble. I don't care about this stuff anymore and everything. And he actually came to me, you know, cause I'd talked to him about the Christian center and had told him, you know, it was an unbelievable place to where if you, if you truly plug yourself into it, you can find people there that truly become like family to you. You know, there, there's people that have been at the Christian center for a long time. And and part of the reason why is because it's become home. Uh-huh. They, feel like they belong there. They have meaning there. And this guy heard me talking about the Christian Center, and he came up to me, and he goes, hey, when I get out of here, you think you can hook me up with that place? Wow. Wow. And um, I was like, well, you know, 100%, man. I'll, I'll talk with them and let you know. And, and there's already guys in mind that I have that I, I can kind of connect him with. And I, I think if the community, if overall we had more of that to where if we had a way to plug these guys into healthy mentors and people to help them navigate what it's like to be back in life again, um, I really believe the recidivism rate would, would really fall. So, we need to give
0: them a chance. Yes, 100%. We've had our second one, third one, fourth one, I think <laughs> yeah. it says, forgive 70 times 70. <laughs> 70 times seven, yes. And then start all over.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and like I said, it's true, if, if people, you know, if people judge me by my past, um, they wouldn't give me a chance. But, you know, what What I've seen a lot of times is that um, especially destructive behaviors, people are, are most times acting out of a tremendous amount of pain and hurts, tremendous amount of pain. They don't know what to do with. And I was so lucky that I had people come into my life that um, – Help me along, and being able to deal with those things, that I was able to get get on the right track and everything. Mm-hmm. That, and uh,
0: yeah, unresolved grief, that yes. past hurt, that like you said earlier, you didn't know how to deal with it yeah. other than the bottle or yep. the pill or whatever your drug of choice yep. may have been. Yep. So is there anything else you'd like to share, Jack, anything you can think of that I, I haven't asked or you haven't mentioned or a takeaway that folks can have? The uh, prison has uh, Sunday services. Come out and,
1: um, you know, get a hold of, of the prison, find out, you know, connect with the uh, chaplains out there and and come out and, and spend some Sundays in praise and worship with some of these guys.
0: Praise and worship in prison. That's right. Yeah, Just like Jesus told us to do. (laughs) I'm kind of thinking of Paul. He had his praise and worship services there, sometimes alone, sometimes as a group. Yep. Well, listen, uh, personally, on behalf of others who are listening, thank you.
1: Not a problem. Uh, Thank you.
0: Thank you for what you're doing, what you're about, the witness that you provide, the passion and compassion that you show those that... We have many times rejected, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, so often. And I just keep thinking of that story of the prodigal son who made, you know, took off, made his mistakes, but the father didn't just wait on him at the door. He ran after him, ran to him. And uh, we need to be about that. God bless. Thank 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 you for your time and your willingness to share. Don't give up on yourself and don't give in to the urge. Your answer, your healing, your recovery may be in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Believe and stay in the fight.